Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for registering to attend Connect Our Elders' very first Empowering Aging event. The intention of this event is to provide an overview of the areas of care, the continuum of care, right, the entire spectrum, because we always talk about how education is so empowering in other areas of life, but you don't often hear about the value of educating our seniors, the advisors in their lives, their adult children, neighbors, or whatnot, and it's time that we start focusing on consumer education so that way they are empowered understanding exactly what their choices are so they're equipped to make the right choice for themselves. So I am very, very excited today to have a panel of expert, expert educators with me. We have, oh, my name is Sarah Barker with Connector Elders. Uh, so today we have with us Tina Buchanan, who's the CEO of Visionary Care Consultants, which is an independent care management firm. We have Liz Ferriamo, who is the CEO of Care Excellence, and it's a senior placement company. We have Julie Crawford, who is the hospice clinical liaison with Aviana Healthcare. Tammy Moses, she's the CEO of The Hoarding Solution. And we have Terry Law, who is a sacred passage end-of-life doula that focuses on end-of-life care options. And Jonna Overson, who is the CEO of Green Tree Home Care. So as you can tell by the people that I just introduced, we are covering very much of the spectrum. Now, of course, there's other resources, but as we do more and more of these events, we will be touching on community resources, nonprofits, other, you know, home care companies from across the United States, because we really need to get the education out to these families. So without further ado, we are going to turn it over to Tina to talk about care management. What is it and why is it so valuable for families? Good morning or afternoon to some of you. I'm here in sunny San Diego today. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. Um, I'm super excited to be here with all of you and these amazing people that Sarah has brought together. So um, my name's Tina. I am an aging life care professional. I am a social worker by trade. Um, I started a concierge care management company about five years ago. Um, and what is care management exactly? Care management really means a lot of different things, but I'm going to start with some of the basics to help you understand what care management does, what it provides, and the value that we can provide for our families and our bigger network. Some of those people are on the call today. So um, we really step in and help families throughout the spectrum of care. It can be when they are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, really trying to come up with a plan and identify how to age in place. Um, aging in place can mean a lot of things. As Liz will talk about later, um, placement and senior living communities, I also consider aging in place. So aging in place can be wherever is comfortable for the family and the client. So as the care manager, our goal is really to guide the family and help them tap into all of the great resources that are available to help their loved ones. So I like to think about it as um, a circle, and we are the quarterback, for those of you who like football. 
Um, we are the quarterback and we have all these players on our field who we have relationships and we have worked with throughout the years. And we like to bring in as we identify what the family and clients need for the appropriate party to do so. So we have eight areas of service that we look at. We look at crisis intervention. So sometimes we're brought in Um, late stage in the game when maybe there's a hospitalization or a mental health emergency or something that's driving the family to reach out to us. We also um, work with our local and national resources. So we're able to identify what other areas of expertise are needed on the case and bring in those resources. Um, we we work with legal teams, so we are not le- we are not legal by nature, but we have relationships with attorneys um, who do estate planning, conservatorships, um, guardianships, depending on the state that you're in. We're currently in California and in Nashville, Tennessee, so um, the terms are a little bit different all over the country. Um, we can also connect you to a CPA or someone that can help you manage your money, such as a fiduciary or a trustee. Um, some of the other areas, and a big one for me and my team, is healthcare advocacy. So we really want to be that advocate for the family and the loved ones because we've been there and we know what's on the other side of it. And we can help you really figure out whether it's a discharge plan from a hospital or um, maybe you're in a skilled nursing or your loved ones in a skilled nursing facility and they're not getting the care that they deserve. We can help come in and advocate use the language that we know in the industry to make sure the client's needs are met. Um, You know, one of the other areas that we love, um, especially at Visionary Care, we love complex cases. So one of our buckets is families, right? So there are all sorts of families from people who have no family and we step in and become their actual family to very large, very complex families with lots of decision makers or lots of people who may think they're the decision maker and who do we really need to be listening to as the client. So we can help facilitate really important conversations um, and act as mediators for conflict um, and really try to drive the care plan back to the client, right? Which is the aging adult. So those are just some areas of services that we provide. Um, Care managers are usually healthcare professionals that have a background in social work. Um, They can have a background in end-of-life hospice. They can be nurses, uh, background in physical therapy, occupational therapy. So there's all sorts of different people out there who have the title of an aging life care manager that come from a different experience. So the nice thing about care managers across the country is that we have a really huge built-in network of other care managers with certain areas of expertise and certain areas within the country that we can work with. So if we're not a good fit for you or the client lives in New York, I know a care manager in New York. Um, So it's a very tight-knit community, um, and we really help each other out in identifying the best providers out there. So before I 
Before I talk about um, the value of care management, did you want me to go into questions, Sarah? Do you want me to wait on that? Uh, we're going to hold the questions to the end because um, I want to get the to paint the picture right of the the continuum of care as best we can um, with our experts today. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about the value that we provide. Um, so we provide all of these services, right? But at the end, what is the goal and what is the value that a care manager can provide to a loved one and a family member? And the value ranges, um, but one of the most important things is we really help the families and the clients themselves find quality of life, whatever that means to them, and peace of mind for the caregivers and the family. Families have so many things on their plate. They are taking care of their own children. Maybe they're working a full-time job. I cannot tell you how many times during the pandemic, a daughter called me and said, I used to fly across the country every week to do this for my mom and I can't do it anymore um, because they weren't allowed to fly or they weren't allowed to go see their mom. Um, So we really take that, that overwhelm and that sense of um, worry and stress off of the family. And we can be that communication hub. So um, the value is really in knowing that your loved one or the elder themselves is, is being cared for, has a team of people around them. It's not just us. It's a team approach. So we bring in the network and um, I've seen time and time again how that's really just made a difference for a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I think one of the other things is families and clients, they don't know what they don't know, right? This is a big, big system with a lot of pieces that need to be looked at. It can be a medical piece. It could be a behavior. It could be um, an environment. It could be the family dynamics. It could be a financial thing, right? So, um Clients will often tell us, wow, you saved us so much time, which is really important, right? Everyone wants more time. So much money because they they didn't have to go try all these things over here that didn't work and um, gave us so much peace of mind. So that's really the value that we provide. Um, I want to touch on the financial piece of it um, just for a minute because Care management um, is most of the time a private pay model of care. There are some companies that take contracts. There are nonprofits um, that do this. But the benefit of having an aging life care professional Mm -hmm. is they are employed by the family and the client. So our Mm -hmm. boss is not Medicare. Our boss is not the skilled nursing facility or the hospital. We work directly for the family. And if that family needs to tie into a benefit, say, for instance, a veteran's benefit um, or a spousal benefit, we're going to identify resources that can help really enhance the quality of life and sometimes provide extra um, money to do so. So that's also very, very valuable. And there's a lot of benefits out there that people don't know about that we really are vetted in. Absolutely. Tina, that was such a phenomenal overview and expression of the value. And to kind of reiterate, a lot of times people will look at care management and say, wow, 
the hourly rate, but but you really have to understand that the savings on your time and the peace of mind that you get and the identification of other sorts of resources that ultimately save money in the end, oftentimes. And then also, you know, understanding too for the adult children that that independent care manager is not coming in to take your place as the daughter or the son. It's really to alleviate you from those care management type tasks so you can be the son or daughter that you desire to be. So, and Tina does a phenomenal job with this. All right, so next up we have Jonna Overson, the CEO of Green Tree Home Care. So Tina gave an excellent explanation of care management and how a care manager is the quarterback of the situation, all resources, but the care manager is not in the home on a day-to-day for four hours, you know, eight hours a day. And oftentimes we have people that need, right, more care. And so that's where Green Tree Home Care, for example, would come into play because they provide non-medical in-home care. So, Jonna, we will go ahead and turn it over to you um, to share with our audience what exactly is home care and what is home care not and why is it so valuable. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> Well, first, just let me uh, start by saying um, thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, I've been in the home care industry now for 10 years, and it has changed so much and is continuing to change um, just dramatically. And I'll touch on that just a little bit. But first, let me start by saying, you know, what is home care? Um, home care is providing care in the homes of individuals, whether, you know, whatever they call home. So it could be assisted livings, you know, private home. In, in whatever space they call home, it's providing somebody in their space to keep them safe, cared for, comfortable at home, right? So it's all about that home-based service. And um, it's really about helping somebody meet their ADLs. So ADLs are activities of daily living. Our care professionals are there to help a person accomplish whatever they would normally do for themselves to keep themselves safe at home, right? So that includes things like bathing, dressing, meal preparation. Um, it includes things like grocery shopping and light housekeeping. So it, it encompasses a lot of tasks that happen around the home. What it doesn't include is that scrubbing the tile with a toothbrush, cleaning out the gutters. It does not include those things. Um, it does not include things like injecting medications, at least not in my state, California. Um, and it does not include more medical style things. So there, there's a lot of confusion in my industry about the lines um, that home care can and cannot cross. In our state, I'm not sure if it's if it's nationally uh, uh, this the same, but in our state we have home health and home care. This is commonly confused. Home health is generally uh, paid for through Medicare or other insurance providers. And they do medical related work with PTs, OTs, nurses, care managers. Um, it, if they do have a very tiny home care component, it's like 30 minutes, three times a week. And it's just for one very specific task, maybe a shower. Um, but it's not that bigger picture. Hey, we need more tasks to keep somebody safe at home. And the last thing that, that's really different between home health and home care is that home health is very short. It's usually four to eight weeks and somebody else might have a little bit more information on, on like the length of time, but compared to home care, 
what we do can go on for the rest of someone's life. So if they start home care, there's no off until they say it's time to go off. They're not restricted by what an insurance company dictates generally. Um, there are some caveats to that, but um, so, so that's, that's the difference between home health and home care. The other side of the coin is, can you clean my toilets? Like what sometimes people are like, well, I just really need someone to clean my house and I'm over 65. So home care. No, <laughs> um, we refer out to, to cleaning services all the time. And sometimes like if people have hoarding issues, that's not really us. Our goal is to help somebody live their highest and best quality of life safely at home, wherever that takes place. And it's usually for four or more hours at a sitting. Um, let's see. And then um, I wanted to touch a little bit on agencies versus private caregivers. Is that okay, Sarah? Absolutely. Okay. So home care agencies are uh, in my state, California licensed. So there's a lot of protection that goes into using a home care agency versus using a private care professional. The main benefit of hiring a private person, of course, is the cost, right? It's usually about half the price or, you know, two, I guess a third of the price, somewhere around there. So it's significantly less to hire privately. But what people don't realize is that when you hire privately, you take on the liability and the stress of all the things that go along with employment. The first thing people say to me is, well, I'm just going to 1099 them. I'm just going to make them a contractor. No. I'm sorry, just because you want to doesn't make it legal. So the state um, does not recognize the home care arrangement as a, as a 1099 position. Um, there is some case law surrounding that. So so if and, and then people will say, well, but I trust my care professional. Of course you should. They're great people. But sometimes. If there's an accident, let's say, let's say there's an accident in the home that care professional is hurt, they really do have to access the system. And once they access that system and you don't have the protections in place, it can open that individual up to liability. And I have seen it happen many times. The other issue um, between privates and an agency is that care professionals will learn that maybe they weren't being paid correctly. And they'll, you know, talk to somebody who knows an attorney who works in this sphere. And then all of a sudden a lawsuit comes up because the care professional has a legitimate right to want fair compensation. But the individual says, well, I didn't know how to pay them. Not knowing something is not a defense. So the care professional would win in that case. So there's just a lot of um, wage and hour, work comp, um, theft, things like that are all handled and the responsibility of an agency where if you hire privately, you're responsible for all of that. And I can tell you as an agency owner, we probably get a uh, wage an hour complaint or lawsuit once or twice a year, uh, work comp for five times a year. Like, these are not things that never happen. They happen quite often to be you know, honest. And you want to make sure that you're protected from those things because they can really devastate a private person. Um, and then the, the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on is how home care is paid for. Um, home care used to be paid for almost 100% by private, private pay. Um, when a client calls us up, they contract with us directly. They pay us directly. And we work very closely with them directly. Um, 
long-term care insurance policies have been around for a long time. And those policies will pay out for home care, depending on the policy and assisted living, depending on the policy. So we in the home care industry have been taking long-term care insurances for a long time. It's something that they would have purchased around the same time that they maybe got a life insurance policy. It's something they would have paid for monthly um, and would have had to keep up on. So that long-term care insurance is generally something that that, um, clients know that they have and they're kind of counting on as part of their uh, retirement planning. Um, Now in, in our landscape, we're starting to see more and more insurances step into the, um, into the, the fold. So, um, Medicare still is not, is not reimbursing directly for home care services, but they are, uh, partnering or, or I'm sorry, I should say Medi-Cal is partnering with, um, with programs that are starting to pay for home care. So one of the main ones that we work with is our PACE program. Um, PACE programs are awesome. They cover the cost of home care for low-income participants. We're starting to see it more with with actually like larger insurance providers. So um, I can't really name them, but if you can think of an insurance provider, they're beginning to, to cover home care on a limited basis. And they, they generally have to tag the person or there's a lot of qualifying factors that have to happen, but they are beginning to pay for, um, for home care, especially through a lot of the Advantage plans are, are even marketing it now. The only thing about the Advantage plans um, mar- uh, paying for home care is that it's, it's short. So it's like uh, 30 to 90 days and then you have to renew it. So it's not a long-term solution, but it can be for an acute patient who just needs home care to get back to their baseline. Um, And then the the last place that we really see a lot of work coming from is the legal community. Um, We work very closely with companies like Tina's uh, and they'll get a complex case and then they'll identify, oh, well, this person needs further support um, in the form of home care. And so we'll align with that group and we are one of the players that keep the client safe, cared for, and comfortable at home. Jonna, thank you very much for that thorough explanation and, and touching all those various areas that, that have to do with home care and, and how it's paid for and the liability issue when um, you know families are faced with private versus agency. So that that's a we all need to make sure that we express that to the families, you know. Um, So hopefully the audience is understanding now how these pieces come together. So now let's say there's a family and for whatever reason, uh, whether it be financial that they can't afford the number of hours of care that they need in the home, or maybe it's just not the right fit. And so it's determined that they need to go to a senior living community. So we have with us Liz Ferriamo, who is the CEO of Care Excellence Team, and that is exactly what she and her team do. Uh, they help families, right, figure out, or the person themselves, what is the right senior community for them based on their needs, desires, and their financial picture. So, Liz, the floor is yours. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate the time and honor to be here. Um, and I and I just want to just take one moment to just commend you. I think that education is 
So important. Um, as you guys can, you've heard already, right? There's an influx of resources readily available to people, but because there's so much, so many resources, sometimes it gets overwhelming for people and um, they get stuck. And so the more proactive that um, we can be as professionals to help educate people in the community ahead of time before the crisis arise, I think will just really help people in their just pre-planning process. Cause we know that everyone's going to arrive to needing some form of care um, at some point in their life. And so the more they can become educated ahead of time, I think would really help um, in the time of crisis and really help them just be able to plan more appropriately, whether long-term care insurance and things like that, like um, Jonna mentioned. But um, so I own a senior placement agency, Care Excellence Team. And um, to, to what Sarah said, we specialize in senior living solutions. So primarily helping families navigate the very complex process of finding an appropriate assisted living, memory care community, um, independent living as well, and um, boarding care homes. And I'll touch a little bit on the difference between each of those because um, they really are tailored to different, um, different situations. <clears throat> and then I'll go into some of the um, extra, the additional details of what we do, but <clears throat> excuse me, independent living is um, really up and coming. Um, we are seeing more and more um, independent living communities that are being built. And what, what is the difference between assisted living and independent living? Well, a true independent living community is not licensed through the state. They do not provide any form of assisted living care, um, but it is a great opportunity for someone who doesn't want to deal with the upkeep of their home. They want to be in community with other people. They want activities. Um, they want their meals prepared for them. All of that really like resort style living, right? Um, and they they can go into an ind independent living community. If they ever start to need care, you know, they can work with companies such as Jana's to bring in the care to them at the independent community. Um, and it's a great option. We have, um, and, and honestly, with the cost of, of rent and increase of everything, it actually, when we start to calculate numbers for our, the clients that we work with that want to consider it, it actually ends up being more cost efficient for them on a monthly basis to have everything kind of included and taken care of. So that's really independent living um, that is unlicensed. And then you have assisted living communities. Assisted living communities are licensed through the state um, and they offer independent options, but they are licensed to provide the care on site through their staff. And there's a lot of different um, options available throughout the, um, you know, throughout the, the country. Um, but primarily, being in San Diego, there's there's so many new ones that are being built. There's ones that have been here for a really long time. But assisted living is really, again, um, a, a social model that can provide care all the way through end of life in a lot of different settings. Um, they have uh, different stages where someone might come in a little more on the independent side, need a little bit of help, and they can increase their care as they as they age in place. Um, and if they ever need like memory support because maybe they have dementia. Um, um, some communities do have memory um, memory care on site as well. And so that really is a huge difference between an actual unlicensed independent living community and assisted living. Um, and they have 24-hour staffing available on site. And again, you can customize what your care plan needs might be. Um, a lot of social model um, activities and transportation, meals, um, everything anyone could ever think of, it's available in an assisted living environment. Um, 
And then you have the boarding care homes. And a lot of people don't really know what a boarding care is. Um, and these are independent residential homes. Uh, they're actually kind of scattered throughout the communities. A lot of people wouldn't even know unless they had a sign. Um, but they are also licensed through the state as well, very similar to a very large community. Um, but the nice thing about a boarding care is that it's a smaller, home-like, intimate setting. Um, usually six residents are living in this home. They have 24-hour caregivers on site. They really provide a high level of care all the way through end of life. Um, and it really, really the difference in why someone would want to consider a boarding care. And I'll go through some details as far as what we kind of look for to help help people navigate which direction. Um, but a boarding care is really a great option for someone who needs really like eyes on them, like probably every 15, 20 minutes, they really need that hands-on, um, almost very close to a one-on-one. -on -one. It's not one-on-one -on -one care, but it's, it's pretty close to it in a boarding care setting. Um, but really for those individuals who are not physically able to participate in a lot of different things, and they just really like to have that small knit environment and can get that intimate care. Um, so those are boarding care homes. Um, and, and I wanted to just kind of dive into, you know, as a placement agency, you know, what do we do? Why do people need to use us versus Google, right? And, and there are a varying levels of placement services available. Uh, people can go to Google and search assisted living in a certain area, and they will find online companies that can give them a list of locations, let's say in the Oceanside area. Um, and when you get the list of locations as a family, you then have to uh, start looking on your own, right? You have to really kind of do the research, start making the calls or receiving the calls, and, and you're really not sure of the list that was given to you does that even match the needs that you have for your specific situation? Not all assisted livings are cr created equally. Um, it's not a one size fits all for any family or, or individual that we're working with. And so um, having just a, a list of 10 locations for you to kind of go through, it really is a time waster for families because they end up spending a lot of time, energy on the phone, even money touring places that aren't even gonna be a fit for what they need. And so, uh, you know, those type of placement um, agencies are really just kind of a search engine. They give you a list and you kind of just have to go run and kind of a DIY, I guess, is what you would call, right? Do it yourself kind of placement service. Um, on the alternate side is really what we do. And we are a very hands-on experience, very concierge type of experience for a family. So when I get a phone call from a family, one, they're going to talk to a live person um, before they even start to see a list of locations. Um, and we're going to do an assessment with them on the phone to really understand what are the care needs of their loved one. Very specific um, to like, you know, are they able to walk? How many feet can or how many steps can they take? You know, um, all of these different details, who they are as a person, their personality, what their goals are as a family. Um, we also, you know, help them uh ask what their budget is, what are their geographic goals? Like, do they want them as close as possible to this daughter or that son in a different area? Um, so we, again, take a lot of time um, identifying these specific goals as a family and what their needs are. And from there, we're able to then identify two to three locations that will fit that entire picture. Um, one of the things that I think we really pride ourselves on is being able to save families so much time. Um, you know, I had a client who called me once and she was 
she was just so well-versed. She had a, a whole notebook full of all this research she did online and all this. And she was still calling me because she had spent all this time. I mean, weeks on end touring, looking, and she still hadn't found the right place for her, her parents. Um, but in speaking to me and me being able to understand really what they needed, what their care was today, what their care plan or what their potential care needs might be in the future. Um, we were able to find a place for her parents that, and they've been there for like four years now and are thriving. So um, that's really the, you know, one of the key differences I wanted to identify were, were very different. Um, and I think that um, for families, it's very important to have that intimate connection, very similar to what Tina said, right? You can have um, someone who's really going to hold your hand through the whole process and save you time, money, a lot of stress probably, um, or you can kind of go down a lot of different rabbit holes of resources, but not really landing on the resource that's going to solve your specific need. And so it's so important that you um, work with um people who are very specialized in what they do and really provide a hands-on experience. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the cost of assisted living. There's a huge misconception out there. Um, and it's a call that we get all the time is that, well, you know, my mom has Medicare, what will Medicare pay for? Um, or they, maybe they have Medi-Cal and what will Medi-Cal can, can't they pay? Doesn't her insurance pay for any of this? And, um, unfortunately most, of assisted living, independent living, memory care, boarding cares are private pay. There are situations um, similar to what Jonna said, if they have long-term care insurance where that can kick in and pay for um, some of their, um, their cost out of the community. Uh, they also, if they have um, aid in attendance, if they were a veteran and can qualify for that program. And uh, there are some programs that are for those um, low, um, um, low income families that may not be able to afford the cost of assisted living, we can work through Medi-Cal with some options. Um, it's not a lot of options, but there are, it's not impossible. It just makes it a little more complex, but it, it is possible for people. So I just want to make sure people understand that, you know, Medicare, Med, you know, any insurance really does not cover the cost of assisted living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I really uh, just encourage everyone to, you know, if you have worked with anyone who has um, either needed this type of service or help, we are no cost to a family. Um, the cost to move into an assisted living community can be very costly and to have an expert working alongside you and not having to incur that fee is very beneficial um, because we work alongside with families through the process. Um, and lastly is what will, what does it cost to move into an assisted living community? Well, uh, it varies. I will tell you um, today, it's probably depending, everything depends on what their care needs are, but it's ranging anywhere from about $4,500 and up. Um, and our boarding cares are usually like an all-inclusive model. So it, it, there's a lot of different options available, but just to give you guys a little bit of an idea of what that could look like, um, depending on care. And what's really awesome too, is that couples can stay together. Um, and I wanted to just add that a lot of times we get calls and people are looking for their spouse and they don't want to be apart. Um, but we have a lot of solutions out there that can accommodate someone who's still very independent and provide care for their partner and keep them together. So, uh, you know, I can't cover all of the different things, but I hope you understand that because there's so many different things, it's exactly why um, you should work with experts who know the industry and know how to navigate it for you.
Absolutely. And like what I like to tell families is you go to your attorney, you go to your doctor, you have your financial advisor. It's time to start looking at your care options through the same lens, which is there are advisors that exist, whether it's the care manager, uh, home care agency, a senior living solution expert, right? Start looking at your care options and and reach out to advisors just like you would your attorney and your financial advisors and your doctor because it, it's highly important. Thank you, Liz. Uh, Tammy Moses, uh, a Navy veteran and the CEO of The Hoarding Solution, is up next to talk about fall risk and dangers and, you know, the situations um, where there is a lot of stuff in the home and it's potentially dangerous. And uh, she's following Liz because let's say, you know, sometimes a home care agency might not be willing to send their caregiver into the home if it's a dangerous environment because of a hoarding situation, or you're taking your loved one and they are going to a senior community, but you need to get all of the stuff out of the home. I mean, there's a bunch of different scenarios here, but um, this topic is not talked about a lot. And um, Tammy does an amazing job with bringing it to the forefront because it is a very complex and tough topic. Tammy, go right ahead. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today and letting me talk about this. I will say I didn't really think I'd talk about hoarding in a public forum. And as a business person, things can evolve over time. And so hoarding became kind of my topic because I saw how it impacted housing issues. And there are a lot of people that actually have this issue. There's an estimate of about 19 million people in the U.S. alone. And that's a lot of people dealing with this issue Plus, you have caregivers, you have family members, neighbors, friends. You may know someone at church that has this issue. There are just so many ways that people are impacted by this issue. And I, I was excited to talk about this issue because there is a lot of safety factors that go into these situations. And as you age, your trip and fall risk increases exponentially. And if you are in a situation where every time you move, you have to touch that piece of furniture and that piece of furniture is stacked on boxes, you increase a fall risk because your mobility is gonna cause you to fall, but also now you have avalanche risk because this stuff might block your path. And there are a number of things that come up for seniors and you know it could be a physical issue which is contributing to their mobility issue it could be um, an environmental hazard things that are in their home and or it could be behavioral things that seniors do and what I see is someone is going along in life they're fine then they have a medical crisis it could be a fall it could be cancer it could be some other medical issue that now is posing a bigger problem for them. They can't maintain the home. They drop something, it stays there. They can't pick it up. That increases fall risk. And then you have the seniors who get on ladders and still continue to do all the things they've been doing for years without 
realizing the risk that they're taking. And I've had these conversations with seniors. Look, you know, you probably should call Bill, the handyman, to come and clean the gutter. But they want to stay independent and they don't want to necessarily have someone see their space, which is one of the biggest issues in hoarding is someone may not realize they have a problem, which is very common. There's a huge aspect of denial, or they may know something's wrong, but it's too embarrassing to have someone come in to service the heater or the AC or the fridge goes out and they don't want anybody seeing their space. So they live in some kind of terrible situation because of their shame. And to be fair, there are people that will come into a person's space and say, hey, we're just going to throw all your stuff out today. Now, that might be actually a piece of what needs to happen, but if you approach it that way, you're going to get a lot of resistance and anger and who are you to tell me what to do with my stuff? So you have to really take a step back and look at what's going on with this person. How are they navigating the world right now? Are they socially isolated because of their stuff? Are they suffering? Um, and I want to make a distinction between you might have someone that has a lot of stuff and it might be stacked in boxes. They might have home shopping things that come in regularly um, and they may just be stacking it in their home, in the rooms, etc. Other times you might have that plus you may have infestation of bed bugs or rodents or something along those lines, or you may have squalor, which is trash and a buildup of it, which is attracting those um, things into that home. And so you have to really look at what is going on. And a lot of times you can't tell that if you don't have eyeballs on it and they don't want you to come into the home. And so then you have someone who's in the hospital or someone who's needing to transition to say assisted living or and now you're in this crisis point. And a lot of times families don't even know this is going on until there is a crisis like that. And so part of the way I look at this is you have to find a way to make a beginning point to have a conversation. And depending on your relationship with that person is going to determine whether or not A, you can say anything and B, how you approach it. And so I will talk about it from a kid, an adult kid perspective, where you see your parent's situation and you go, holy cow, mom or dad, oh, how are we going to handle this? You know, how are you doing right now? Are, are your bills being paid? Are you getting out to church, you know, tell me what's going on with you. And if you are in a place where you have a good relationship with that person, you can probably start there and just really express your concern about what is going on. If you don't have a close relationship and you come across this in some way, whether you're a medical provider or um, a friend, like you finally, you know, Susie finally let you in and you're like, wow, this is a problem. And if you're trying to start 
having a conversation, look at safety, look at what is going on with them, observe that before you say anything, and then start talking to them about, you know, what's their favorite kind of coffee? What's their pet's name? Um, You know, you can listen for cues as to what they're willing to talk about. And it's often a good place to start when you're trying to make that connection. Part of my tenant is to connect, transform, emerge. And if you don't make that initial connection in some way, you're not going to have the opportunity to move to the next points. And it's really frustrating if you walk in and you know exactly what needs to happen and that person simply does not hear you and will allow nothing. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what's the hoarding solution? What is that? And because there are so many dynamics, there's so many considerations for a family um, that you need to start now. If you see a problem now, the solution is start talking now, start asking the question, you know, look at this problem before it's hospitalization and now they can't come home because of the condition of their home. Um, Look at it before you have to figure out how to have a garage sale for 35 years worth of stuff in a home and you've got 30 days to get out. Um, Look at what, what it is that they are struggling with right now because you will get a ton of resistance generally. And if you throw in some additional things, whether it's dementia starting, or maybe they have some mental health behaviors that have never been addressed. And now that is coming to the forefront. Maybe now they have cancer. Maybe they need to look at hospice options. Like there are so many things that start coming up and it's so stressful as the caregiver, as the adult kid, as a friend who cares, like there is so, in a lot of the groups and conversations I have, there is so much stress and overwhelm in A, in caregiving alone, but B, you throw some additional things in there and it is just super stressful for people. So knowing that you aren't alone is a huge piece of it. Knowing that there are ways to navigate it. For example, you could look at safety day which means you make a 36 inch path, which means they can navigate with a walker. They could use their scooter. EMS could get in with a gurney if they need to. Um, And so you can really look at it from that safety perspective and try to have that conversation. The other piece I will say is in hoarding, there's a lot of trauma and mental health issues that aren't addressed. And Commonly, it's depression and anxiety, but it can go into other things as well. And so you have to come at it from a trauma-informed approach and understand that these are people and that there is stuff, yes, but there's these people underneath that are struggling and suffering. And if, if you aren't prepared mentally for some of the kickback you will get, that is going to make your job even harder even as a professional. So understanding where you're at and whether there's triggers that might uh, be an issue for you is also a very important part of dealing with these situations. Um, I I was reading that there's about 
eight million American seniors that are admitted to the ER annually. And 800,000 of them are hospitalized. And often that comes from a fall. So there really is a lot of work to be done. And I appreciate you, Sarah, pulling all this together and getting people to be talking about what is available. Thank you, Tammy. Every single time I talk to you about this topic, I get teary-eyed thinking about my grandmother because uh, it, it is a there's that psychological component. And so your approach and when you talk about how families can have these conversations, it's, it's really important. So thank you so much um, for being here. Uh, next up, we have Julie Crawford, hospice clinical liaison from Aviana Healthcare, one of my most favorite people ever in the world. So Julie, go ahead. Hey, good afternoon. Um, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And yes, yeah, so I I want to echo um, education is so important. And I do believe that hospice is such an underutilized service because so many people don't really understand not only what all it entails, but when it really should begin. And so just and I know that, you know, I may be preaching to the choir here, especially on this panel, but when we're reaching out into our communities, I think, and I, I love that as a person who um, is, whose expertise is in hoarding, that you can recognize maybe this is hospice situation. Is this person unable? Like, what is going on here? Um, and the beautiful thing about hospice is I never say that it's free because it definitely is not. It's a Medicare Part A benefit that people have been paying into their entire lives. And, um, you know, the criteria for hospice is that if the disease runs its natural course, that the life expectancy is less than six months. We do not have a crystal ball, so that's really gray. Um and especially for our diseases that have a longer trajectory, such as Alzheimer's and dementia, COPD, heart failure. Um, you know, some of our patients we've had on services for one, two, sometimes three years because the decline is there and it's evident, but it necessarily is not end of life. But hospice is truly about the last season of life and looking at a person holistically with many disciplines and all of our resources pulled together to offer the best quality of life and a dignified end of life experience. So um, I do think that often people believe hospice is about symptom management. And of course we do that, but um, that is just such a small piece of what we do if we really are getting our patients timely. Um, so the, there are lots of advantages, especially the cost advantage, because again, it's not free. We've been paying for this our whole lives. So the things that are covered, um, nursing, unlimited nursing. So I did hear somebody mention home health and, and how it's billed. It's also a Medicare product, um, but it's episodic. So a person gets X amount of visits, whether it's nursing, PTOT, and for, for that episode. With hospice, it's need-based. So it is as much as that person needs. For some of our patients, it's once or twice a week. And for some patients, it's every it's every day. So that's nursing. There's also home health aids that are available for bathing. So um, 
or just, you know, it's not always bathing. Sometimes it is light housekeeping. Sometimes it's just companionship for that brief time to come in and have somebody have your nails painted or your hair done so that, you know, dignity is a huge component for our mm-hmm. seniors and, and often gets overlooked. So I think the difference of having a clean shirt today makes a, a bigger difference than we sometimes really think about. Um as well as the psych social component of care. So having the social worker and the chaplain available, again, unlimited to help connect people with all of you. So the resources that are out there for placement, for um, unsafe housing conditions, for what, you know, whatever that is to build those bridges, elder law attorneys, um, just to make sure, because I think one of the, and I think Terry Law will speak to this, one of the biggest challenges that we have with people at end of life is unfinished business. And, you know, do you have your affairs in order? Are you ready? And so hospice isn't just about the physiological care, but also the spiritual care and, and the social care about what is this experience really going to look like? And so that that really is it's our goal is to be able to bring that service to people as soon as we possibly can so that they get the full benefit of hospice. Um, I'm, I know we're, we're running low on time, so go ahead. Julie, no, thank you. I'm getting emotional. You guys like the level of passion and care, right? I just feel it right now. Um, with, could you just take a couple minutes, Julie, and maybe talk about some of the hospice myths, because I think that um, we really need to do a better job as a society, making sure that people understand, for example, and you can elaborate on this a bit, just because you go on hospice does not mean that you're going to die tomorrow. 100%. And I think that that is, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because, you know, do not resuscitate does not mean do not treat. And so they are very different things. And also that is a myth in itself that having a a no code status is not a deal breaker for some hospices it is, but it's not a Medicare deal breaker and that you can be a full code and be on hospice because we recognize that you're navigating through the grief process. And part of that is denial. And so those conversations sometimes have to happen multiple times before a person can make peace with, I'm going to let this run its natural course. Um, So that's one myth that we don't just give up on patients. And if a person, for example, has an infection, if a person has pneumonia, we are going to do everything that we can within reason to treat that. So antibiotics will be used, oral antibiotics, typically not IV antibiotics, but what are the interventions that are going to be effective that can be tolerated? Um, So yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the other myths about morphine, well, they, you know, they gave them morphine and they, that's what killed them. And we have patients who are on morphine for, for two years, especially again, our COPD patients, because it's so effective. And unless you've had that experience with that medication, they say, I mean, I'm sure you have all heard it like, oh my God, they're starting the morphine. And that is not a bad thing. It is just often the most appropriate intervention, but there's so much fear associated, especially with that medication, you know, and other similar to it that are just not accurate. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, and just so you know, in the future, we will be diving deep with each person so we can go deeper into each of these areas. Julie, love you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, All right. Just- <laughs> You're welcome. Teresa Law, Sacred Passage, End of Life doula. Some of us here in this group refer to her as Mama Teresa. Uh, we adore her. So this is a, she's been in the healthcare world for a long time, and this is a transition that she's made Um, went through the training to be an end-of-life doula. It is um, an industry that's growing. So, Teresa, please share with us, what is that and why is it so important for families and individuals? Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Before I start, I would love for everybody to close their eyes, get away from your screen, take a couple of really deep breaths, and then come back to me. Beautiful. My name is Teresa Law. I'm also known as Terry, so you'll hear me by both, and I take both of those well. I'm an LPN by profession. I've been in healthcare for over 30 years, and I got tired of healthcare telling me what we could and could not do. Uh, Retired out of the system, and it lasted about four days. Went to class through Conscious Dying Institute, and now I'm an end-of-life doula, as well as a coach. We have another one of those on our Zoom today, who is Ellen Abbott. It's good to see Ellen. She is a part of Conscious Dying as well. Um, I want you to think about the fact that each one of you touch someone daily that actually needs a doula and just doesn't understand it. What does a doula do? We understand You have passed, but we look at present today, where you are, what you want your future to be, and we help you get there through small action steps to get away from the things that are tying you down and help you have a quality of life, whether that is five days, whether it's five months, whether it's five years. We often have calls from hospice agencies, and I've had this from Julie. We had a hospice referral. They're not ready for hospice, but they need a doula. And we go in and we help them with some issues, and we prepare them for what's coming ahead in their life. And we'll turn them back to hospice when they need it, not necessarily when everybody decides that it's what they need to do. We often lose that ability to have the full effect from our care managers, from our hospice teams, from our hoarding, from our changing from home to assisted living. Sometimes I tell people we're almost the glue. We help them get there and see where they are today, what their vision needs to be, and then we help them put those people together with them. I say sacred passage because to me it is important that we get back to the quality at end of life. We had it years ago. We had doulas years ago. They just didn't have a name. That was the neighbor that went next door that helped when grandmother was dying in your home, that kept the dignity, that kept the family together while the mom was mourning the loss of her mother. And so that's kind of what we do. A doula is a non-medical professional. I bring in nursing on a side. 
Uh, others are social workers. Some We have some that are doctors. We have some that are just lay people that have years and years of experience that want to bring in a quality of life into what they do. What I ask you to do is to look up Conscious Dying Institute. Also look up what we call NIDA, National End of Life Doula Alliance. There is a wealth of information for you that's available. And I want you to understand there is always someone there for you. No matter what walk of life that you are currently in, we want to be able to get you to the resource that you need, want, or deserve that you know nothing about. So I hope that today has been very beneficial to you. I hope that you take a look today at where you are and what your vision might be. That is in five different domains. It can be physical, mental, your spiritual. Also, what do you want in your person for your person? Once you pass away, what do you want? Do you want to be buried or cremated? Do you want a green burial? I don't know anything about those. Guess what your doula does so that they can help you. We will help you with your life legacy. We want to be sure that you are giving those things or uh, doing the things that you want so that you're remembered the way you want to be. So ours is all about our client helping them unlock a beautiful end. And we work with people that have just gotten current diagnosis. We've worked with people that have had them for a while and families are calling very upset. We just don't know what to do. And like so many others, we can go in the home and look at the current situation, take the stress level down, and then talk about what do you want? And that's what's important to us. Sarah, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's, it's good to have friends in multiple states that we can work with. And if I can be a resource, please reach out to me. Thank you so much, Terry. Um, does anybody have any questions? Um, I did a lot an hour and those of you that have to go totally understand, but if there are any questions, we can open it up for discussion. I do wanna say one last thing about Terry's area of expertise and this came up the last time we were having lunch. Yes, it's about the end, but so much of it is about how do you wanna live now, right? because the end is inevitable. And so what it does is puts everything into the present time and you start thinking about those things that we often put off. And so uh, the work that you're doing is super powerful. Thank you, Sarah. All right, um, are there any questions? Um, feel free to take yourself off mute um, and it's just open discussion at this point. Terry, this is Tina. I was wondering if you can put the link to the National Institute, Institute and also your other contact in the chat. Yes, ma'am. You got it. Okay. Any questions? I would try to use that movie quote. What is it? Bueller, Bueller, but I'm, I'm horrible at trying to do those things. See, it's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, if there are not any questions, um, feel free. I will be sending this recording to all of you that are here today, all the registrants, um, and giving it to the expert educators. Uh, round of applause for our educators. Amazing job. Thank you so much. Phenomenal work. Our society 
needs this. So thank you for being a part of the Connect Our Elders Empowering Aging mission. And I hope you guys all enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.